Welcome to another Thursday with Third Path webinar. You know I love doing these webinars because I have amazing guests who have been really out there and pioneers in so many ways that are helping us think bigger about what's possible around how to do work, family, and leadership differently. Today in particular, we're going to be talking about a new kind of manager. The idea is we can now work remotely, work on-site, work hybrid, and to be an excellent manager of this new workplace, there really are some special skills that people need to learn about to help us with this process. We're going to start by meeting Leslie Ford. You're going to be really excited about the work she's been doing since the start of the pandemic. I didn't think she knew what she was in for um, and how much she was going to be learning some really important things about how our thoughts about the pandemic were changing over time. And I'll let her talk a little bit, and then we're going to put some slides up that explain some of the uh, things that she's learned. And then after that, we've got some of those wonderful managers here today to share some of the insights they've had around managing in this new way. Um, and again, you'll get to ask them questions, write them in the chat box. We really want this to be a chance for you to learn a lot today. Well, I am so excited to have you here, Leslie. This has been um, quite a, I don't know, 20 month period <laughs> where um, we really were thrown into some things that we didn't um, expect, both on the work side and the life side. Tell us, give us a little background about your study, and then in a second, I'll put up a slide that kind of gives a thumbnail sketch of some of the things that you learned. Tell us a little bit about who you are and how come you did this study. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. Well, this is like one of my favorite topics because <laughs> it's so important. It has such a meaningful impact on the work-life experience of parents, and I think for a long time, right, we've been... I think ignoring the people manager side of the equation and how critical that is to make work and life fit together. So, you know, I started this research um, just over five years ago, and it was a result of me returning to work with my youngest and completely burning out. Um, I had taken on a fairly large promotion at the time that I was pregnant, and within 12 weeks of, you know, leaving and coming back, the whole world changed at my then employer. Um, the strategy had changed. I had a number of employees that had to shift into different roles. Some people had to go out on leave. And so I found myself really struggling to manage life, sleeping in one hour increments with a newborn and a toddler. And as a result of that experience, um, my burnout is now thankfully uh, helping others in that I began to really research this intersection between stress, self-care, and growth. So this type of research is something I've been doing for a while. When the pandemic started, to your point, I had no idea that I would still be studying it. I thought, oh, this would be a really interesting dynamic to study for a couple of weeks. Um, and here we are. <laughs> So I launched the research study March 30th of 2020, and it's now in wave seven. Over 2,500 parents have participated. Um, I also run kind of a modified version of it with employers. And, and it's interesting, whether it's men or women, um, the you know, people who are caring for children or even people who might be caring for elders, 
there's a lot of common themes and a lot of consistency. So tell us a little bit about this, this first phase. We thought it was just going to be a few months. And then what happened afterwards? Absolutely. Well, you know, what's interesting about that first phase is that, you know, people just lean in in a crisis and they just kind of went immediately into crisis mode. So it's like, what do I need to focus on? I need to focus on my kids. I need to focus on supporting them. And in those early months of the study, probably for the first six months or so, most people, um, most of the parents, it was probably around, you know, between 55 and 65%. It varied a little bit over time, felt like they were doing as well as usual or better than usual as parents. And I kind of relate that to the fact that they were spending so much more time with their children. <laughs> and in our, you know, in our culture, we do kind of equate how we spend our time uh, with what we're doing well at, right? And what we're prioritizing. And people had a lot of hands-on time with their kids um, in ways that they never anticipated. People, by contrast, felt like they were doing terribly or not as well as usual at work. So overwhelmingly, they were concerned about their roles as workers. Um, throughout the study, people have felt pretty uh, un- unsatisfied with their roles as partners. Um, my couples generally are not doing well. <laughs> um, I only have about I only have about thirty percent that feel like their role as partner is uh, going better. But after those early months, when they kind of established a rhythm with managing, in some cases, remote school and remote learning, navigating work and having their children at home, navigating all of the chaos that that was happening from a mental health standpoint, from a physical health standpoint for some people, um, and even just you know, navigating just the changes in their communities and where they couldn't, couldn't go, having their support infrastructure just about disappear overnight. After that first six months or so, people started to get a little bit more comfortable and realized that they had to turn their attention back into their jobs. You know, we're here we are in a global health crisis. And in a global health crisis, and at the time, a pretty deep recession, you know, no one really wants to be without their health care <laughs> or without their income. So they kind of pivoted to put more attention into work. And then I saw the reverse. People started to feel improvement in terms of how they were performing at work, but they were feeling really badly about their role as parents again. Report cards started coming home. Um, many parents and myself included, hadn't been so up close and personal to the learning process for their children. So if their children weren't doing well, and I saw an alarming amount of mental health concern, not just for parents themselves, but for their children, and it kind of reached a crescendo pretty early in the pandemic. If people's children are not doing well academically or not doing well psychologically, then of course, they do not feel like they're doing well as parents, and they don't feel good about the state of the family. So that was happening in the midst of it. And they're trying to hold on to their jobs, trying to kind of keep their family units together and just keep everybody healthy and safe. We've now kind of entered this different era with the pandemic, with more people feeling like they have some sort of a routine as it relates to work 
as it relates to how they manage their kids, even though people are still overwhelmingly without the same childcare they might have had pre-pandemic. Most of the school systems in the United States, at least, are back to in-person. So that has eased some pressure for many parents if they have school-aged kids. And we're seeing now that there's, there's more of a rhythm, but the concerns have shifted from you know, worrying about the pandemic, worrying about whether they're doing as well uh, or not at work, but am I really in the right work? Am I living the right life? Is this how I really want to spend my time? People are done uh, with being told what to do, with wanting to please everybody else. And after spending months realizing that they could be as productive, if not more productive, working remotely after years, perhaps, of being told that they had to be in an office to be promoted or they had to be in an office to be visible, it's kind of sown some seeds of distrust, I think, with traditional work. It's made people really re-examine where they want to spend their time, what they want to focus on. And frankly, a lot of people just want to blow it all up, right? It's like, you know what? They want to quit their jobs. They want to quit, in some cases, their partners. They want to quit their city. Um, people were moving, relocating, figuring out a different model, not just for how they work, but how they live. And so I think that's where we're at now. And what I've seen as a result of what parents are telling me and where they're hungry for support, there's a new, I think, a new opportunity for workplaces and managers to take the reins on creating cultures that allow people to have a life outside of work. And of course, it's wonderful for parents, and I'd say essential for parents and caregivers. But as I often will tell people, you know, a 25-year-old surfer with a dog is going to enjoy that too, right? Like having a more flexible work culture is good for everybody, and it promotes a more inclusive way of working, um, and it really allows people to kind of bring themselves fully into the workplace. And the four yeah, pillars... So oh, I'm sorry. Just, just, to, just to sort of quickly sum up, you know, so there's been these phases and what I liked when we were talking uh, before the webinar, you were talking about how in some ways where we've come to is this kind of FaceTime culture that existed prior to the pandemic has transported itself into the virtual office. And so what you've really helped us see is that, you know, if we want to live these integrated lives, we're a surfer, we're a parent, we're a you know, adult child caring for an aging parent, we need to set boundaries. And whether we're working 20 hours a week or 40 hours a week or 60 hours a week, if we want to have work and something else, we need to get smart about how to do work in the time that's available as opposed to having work take over our lives. So there's so many phases that we went through around the pandemic. Um, and I think what's so interesting is we're back to learning the same lesson we learned a long, long time ago. You're right. I hear you loud and clear. People have really learned they re want to reprioritize the quality of their lives. And your study really showed that, you know what, hanging out with our kids is actually kind of fun. And we want some time with that for moms, for dads, for all of us. Um, and that you know, yes, I heard in your study, we were talking about this before, that there are some households that are really struggling with this. But it was fun in the third path community to see how parents who had already figured out how to share care, whether they were living together or apart, 
they really were able to better navigate this crazy pandemic, which, by the way, helps them navigate all kinds of things that happen over the course of their lives. Um, and that, you know, we also talked a little about, and I wonder if you, you want to share a thought about it before we go on to our, our last slide, um, that this is uh, something that they realized grandparents could play a role too. Uh, so any thoughts about kind of this, things that they've benefited from, from this uh, realignment with our values. Absolutely. Well, on the value of family and having greater connection to family, being closer to their, closer to their children, seeing their children more naturally throughout the day. And on the grandparent front, intergenerational living is kind of making a comeback. A lot of people moved in with their parents for grandparent care or brought their parents into their homes to live for grandparent care during the pandemic? So yes, it's, it's making a comeback. I think that's the fun part about this. So many of the things that we've been teaching about third path and how we can really rethink families, work, leadership, um, you know, are coming to fruition. One of the things that you talked about when we uh, talked prior to the, to the webinar, and this is where we're going to go next, is to hear from some managers about this is that there's some really important things that managers need to learn. I'm going to make the list really quick because I want to make sure we get to the managers, but then leave it to you to add a comment or two if you wanted to. You talked about the importance of creating psychological safety, and I think that's something we're going to talk quite a bit about in today's webinar. You said, don't treat everything as urgent. I thought that was great advice because really we all have only so much time, so we want to make sure we're prioritizing what's most important, and if we, everything's urgent, it's really hard to do that. You also talked about, you know, making time for focused work. This is something Third Path has been talking about for a long time. Um, and, and maybe we'll get back to that one. But the idea is that if we're constantly interrupted by meetings and IMs and email, we're not actually getting good work done. Leslie went on with some other ideas. These are, these are just, again, great lists. Um, we need to make sure people have recharge time. In fact, our newsletter that went out today and one of the stories we'll be talking about today is that for leaders too, if we don't model taking recharge time, we're not great models for everybody else and it's not good for us. And last but not least, it is the idea of role modeling that's really important. So Leslie, I'm gonna have you talk some about that list and then we're gonna actually share some of these amazing leaders that we have and managers that we have to share how they've been doing this. Anything you want to add to that list? And thanks for making that list with us. Thank you. Well, and I think that these principles that you've been teaching are so, like they've always been relevant, but now finally the ecosystem and the environment is ready for some advice on how to do things differently. Um, and I think to your point, you know, psychological safety, I think that's, that's huge, like sharing and showing vulnerability flexibility for people to have the space for deep work and for self-care. Over 75% of the parents in my study still say that they're doing terribly or not as well as usual at self-care. And that's why we're seeing this epidemic of burnout, right? If, if you aren't caring for your physical, mental, and emotional health, that's not only not good for you as a person, it's not good for your employer either, right? It's not good for your family. Um, mental health care, child care and elder care, those are the other pieces. Like employers, I think, need to play and are playing a more active role in destigmatizing mental health care, having conversations, even like as a manager, 
during that one-on-one, start off with how are you doing? How are things going? And check in with people on a personal level before launching into status updates and talking about projects um, and being proactive about giving people the space for care. Like don't schedule those meetings first thing in the morning or late in the evening or over lunches. Um, If you have a major project that has a hard deadline that's coming up quickly, take everything else off the plate so that people have the space for it. So I think managers can help to meet people because what we still see is parents feel so vulnerable about raising their hands and saying they're having challenges that they're just not going to ask for help in most cases but managers can help to support them proactively. We heard a lot of great information. I'm sure it sounded pretty familiar, uh, both the experience through the pandemic. Uh, you were um, you know, going through this yourself as a dad and a worker. Um, and you know, tell me a little bit about, so is remote work new to you? And you know, how have you make that, made this work, family stuff work? And what, how has remote work played a role in it? So I think it's interesting in my case to understand that remote work is actually not new to me. It's something I've been doing for at least a decade. I I work uh, traditionally in kind of like Silicon Valley startups, tech career, that kind of industry that is traditionally kind of very progressive in terms of, you know, certainly issues like this, but also, you know, it's technology and advancement, you know, innovation, things like that. So um, remote work is not something new to me. However, uh, I did live through the pandemic. I have been um, alive in the last year, two years to have seen that and have seen kind of like children come back home to, you know, get on Zoom calls to learn. And I've seen my partner uh, who had an office job come back home to start working from home. So like, so I have seen the dynamic that, you know, Leslie was talking about in terms of uh, this arc of progression, um, seeing people around me and uh, in, in kind of seeing the world at large respond to remote work and getting used to it. And, hey, this is something that, that's kind of new. I really hated it a lot. I hate my job. Uh, you know, uh, my family life was collapsing. Uh, my finances were collapsing. And, and ultimately, I lost that job. Uh, so what do I, you know, what am I left with? I'm, you know, losing my marriage. I'm losing my son. I'm in a, you know, I'm foreclosing on my home. I'm losing all my financial, you know, everything I have worked for in my twenties and thirties are, are, you know, kind of withering and dying. Um, and so at the time I was, you know, I, I, you know, was literally sitting in a foreclosed on home, um, figuring out, all right, well, what am I going to do with my life? Um, I luckily had a good friend and, uh, you know, camp buddy of mine from childhood reach out to me and he had an idea for uh, a company called Life of Dad, uh, which was a social network and kind of entertainment uh, destination for fathers. Uh, And they needed some, you know, some help in terms of like building this thing and kind of fleshing out the idea and and building it out. Uh, I was a software engineer at the time. So I, I said, yeah, you know, it's a good idea. Let me, let me help build it. So so we built this company uh, literally in my case from, you know, people say they started off in a garage. I started off in a garage in a foreclosed on garage, uh, nonetheless. Um, and, uh, you know, the original founder of this company is a guy named Tommy Riles. He was, you know, uh, if y'all are familiar with, with Ellen DeGeneres, he's the guy that does warm up comedy and kind of gets the audience warmed up so that Ellen can come on stage and, and do the show. Uh, he started the company, reached out to me. He was in LA. I was in central Delaware at the time. 
Uh, and another partner of mine from uh, St. Louis, Missouri, um, you know, was also a co-founder of this. So we started this company as a remote company um, because we had no choice. I can't go out to L.A. every day. You know, my, my partner out in L.A. can't come to, you know, to central Delaware. I can't go to St. Neither of us can go to St. Louis. So, so we started this idea and built this social networking uh, site uh, and entertainment destination for fathers uh, fully remotely. And at the time, we didn't think it was that big of a deal. We were just doing this out of necessity. We had the internet, we had all these like social tools, we had Facebook and um, kind of all these tools to, to kind of do this kind of work. So, so we started the company, I guess, fast forward, you know, to not belabor the story too much. Uh, we built this company, have touched millions of fathers and families worldwide with our work uh, and uh, extremely proud of you know, kind of something that started off as kind of an entertainment destination and a social networking destination has become something that has kind of become more important in the world. Like we started off this office more of kind of a fun, lighthearted comedy site, but it evolved into something much more serious where we were listening to dads and their, their real struggles and their pains and their, their family lives and, and their ups and their downs. And kind of, it became to us, what started off as kind of a comedic thing and kind of this lighthearted thing became much more serious. We were like, hey, well, look, we can have a voice and, and be kind of a sounding board for fathers going through real issues. What a great and powerful message, Ryan. You know, in, in terms of a job, like, look, there's supply and demand forces. You know, Leslie talked about the great, you know, what would what, what you call it? Resignation. The great, the resignation yeah. that's happening in the world. Yep. And that's a direct result of people looking, taking a hard gut check and look at their lives saying, hey, this is what I'll accept. This is what I won't accept. You know, the supply and demand curves of the labor market, people are saying yep. like, hey, look, I'm the seller here. This is a seller's market. And I'm not going to sell my yeah. time for cheap. You know, I, yeah. I have yeah. a family at home. I've got passions. I've got interests and I've got my time and my space. I don't like a commute. You know, yep. what will I accept when, when I accept? So like, yeah, once people, once workers understand that, like, who am I? What do I like? What don't I like? Move forward and kind of have that posture and, and realize that they're, they're, they're an <laughs> advantageous seller in this, this labor market. Well, that's what we're going to share is a couple of examples where, I mean, I think, Kate, I'm going to have you go next and talk a little bit about, I mean, you've worked, really, you've worked remotely your entire career with when you were a parent, um, and you started out in a global workplace, um, just working remotely, but quickly, it sounds like, became a manager of others in a global workplace. Tell us a little bit about why remote work was, was important for your making it all work story. And thank you, Ryan, because I think we're really trying to inspire people that they can have a career doing things differently. And Kate, you're a great example. Tell us a little bit more about how you've evolved over time around remote work. Sure, so I was working for Oracle Corporation for about 17 years and started off in an office in the DC area and my husband got a job here in Philly, so we moved up. Fortunately, it's a global company. I was able to find another position that allowed me to work from Philly. Um, I didn't have quite the commute Ryan did, but I was <laughs> driving out to an office and it's fine. You're young. You can take all the time you want in an office. And then as soon as you start having kids and your daycare is only open for certain hours, it's like, I can either be working those extra three hours or commuting, but I only have these many hours because my daycare is closing and I got to be back to pick up the kids. So 
um, it quickly was easy to convince management that, you know, if I worked from home, they'd get three more hours out of me or, you know, two to three, depending on traffic. Um, and so that is how it slowly, you know, convinced them that it would be okay. And we tried it out and it was one day a week and then it moved to two days. You know, I finally was able to eventually fully work remotely from home. I had no one that I worked with in that office. So I was driving out to sit in a desk that I had no other colleagues in that office. Um, so now you look back and that was nuts, but back then it was really important to just show up in an office. So, um, so for about 15 years, I was working remotely and I got, um, yeah, I had different manager roles. I was managing teams globally. I had to interview and hire um, colleagues in Latin America and Canada and, and, you know, trying to sort through resumes and do the hiring process and so on. But it, it ended up being such a wonderful experience because you have such a, you know, it's a global company. We're not selling just to people in Philadelphia. We're not supporting customers just in Philadelphia. We're not making products for just people in Philadelphia. So having a broader understanding, um, if you're working in, for a company that is servicing the globe, you should also have teams that represent the globe. So um, there was just a lot that, you know, I, I had the little widgets with the little clocks on my desktop and I had it for every team member. I, you know, here's the time it is in Bangalore. Here's the time it is in <laughs> Chile. Here's the time. So you just had, you know, little things that you would try to do to remember that your team is not all, you know, based down the street from you. So um, I think you, you wanted me to talk a little bit about managing folks yeah. globally. There was, a, there was a woman, it sounds like, um, and again, time is flying. So maybe what we're going to do is going to come back to that story. But I'll, I'll sum it up really quickly by just saying that if we have time and come back to Kate's story, she told an amazing story when I was getting ready for today's webinar about someone who she hired who was from Mexico. And, you know, really what I heard in, in Kate's story was how this woman's life was forever changed because she was able to work remotely, was able to be part of a remote team, had a manager who appreciated her for the skills she brought to this global team, that being Kate, and that it really meant that she was kind of set up to uh, progress in a career that would have been completely outside of the uh, realm of possibilities for her before meeting Kate and being part of that global team. So I, it just really struck me how much a global workforce can really change things dramatically um, in a big way for people. And Susan, I want to welcome you next. Um, we're going to tell your story. Uh, we're, again, we're marching through time way too quickly. So Susan, I, I think uh, one of the fun things I learned from your story was how much you have been a creative thinker with your team forever. Um, and so one of the stories you told was about how someone who was an administrative person, and so that job was considered to be done in the office, and how you worked with that person, and that person had a lot of commitment to think outside the box, literally, to figure out how to do that job remotely in a pandemic. So tell us a little bit about this job that she was doing and how you, you and her came up with a kind of creative example of how even with an administrative role, we can think outside the box. Yeah, Susan, yeah, glad sure. you're here. Yeah, yeah. so um, uh, just one slight um, uh, correction is uh, the person uses they, them pronouns. So um, I will refer to them as they. Um, uh, so I hired um, 
uh, them in May of 2020. Um, and the organization that I worked for um, for three and a half years, Community Change, I retired on October 1st, although I'm still doing some consulting. Um, but they they already had, it was about a 90-person organization, about half the employees worked remotely um, across the country because we do community organizing, support community organizing. And so we all of our field staff were basically um, spread out, but all the administrative staff were expected to be in Washington and work in HQ um, on U Street um, in downtown, downtown DC. And so, but we really needed um, administrative support. And so um, when I hired this person, um, uh, you know, it was um, obviously they, we were already in uh, remote work. And so, um, so there was a number of things that I did. But first of all, I was like, okay, so how do I provide the training and support and relationship building for this person that's really, really important. Like this person's going to be supporting me and my team, really important. We build a sense of trust. And and um, and so some of it was just like in the onboarding plan, like building in that for the first couple of weeks, we literally met every day. Um, and, um, you know, first day, maybe an hour and a half, but then like really saying, okay, let's at least check in. Let's reserve a half an hour to check in every day um, at the beginning of the day, just to see how things are going and continue to build that relationship. And if we don't need the whole time, that's fine, but we'll have that on the calendar. Um, and then stepped it down to, you know, twice a week. And, but pretty much um, for the duration of are working together, um, we did reserve that twice a week time, which we sometimes we used all of it. Sometimes we used more than what we had reserved. And sometimes we were able to, you know, talk for five minutes and then, um, and then get off the phone. But that kind of knowing that this person was new, that they, they shouldn't be working in isolation. Um, and, uh, and then the other thing, which kind of reinforces um, something that I think Leslie said is the importance of, checking in with people on a personal level, not just on a work level. And so both in the one-on-ones that I was doing with uh, this person, but also um, that we would have weekly team meetings that this person was a part of and they were supporting, you know, everybody on the team. Um, we always started every meeting with a personal check-in and oftentimes they, you know, you'd come up with a question um, uh, that just allows, gives people a space to say something about who they are outside of work. Um, and it could be anything from, you know, something really goofy. Um, uh, somebody, I work, I'm on a board where somebody had this kind of check-in question. Um, uh, what was it? Um, you know, what is the um, petty hill you're willing to die on? You know, <laughs> so like we all shared love, <laughs> like silly thing about ourselves that we, you know, um, we know is silly, but we still, uh, you know, are passionate about. Um, so I think that 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 was really important, this idea of how we create that sense of trust and safety. Um, and then the other thing is, is, um, really being thoughtful about giving this, this new admin person opportunity to how are they going to get to know people across the organization when they're one of 90 and nobody's coming into the office and half the people live across the country anyway. And so um, just, you know, really thinking about what are the assignments, um, who do I direct them to, who do I encourage them to um, reach out to, um, et cetera. And 
Um, and, you know, it was, I was actually really surprised by how quickly they got to actually know quite a few people, partly because of their own personality. They weren't shy about reaching out to so-and-so or reaching out to so-and-so um, so that they could, you know, get information or coordinate around something. Or, um, and, and I think the other thing is just um, like recognizing that, um, you know, when you're doing administrative work, your time, sometimes you're like super busy because you've got all these tasks or, or projects and other times you, you, you have some time. And so I would also like if people, if I could see that other teams needed help, I would ask this person first before I offered, but I could say, this is a project I've heard about. Is this something you'd be interested in helping with? And almost always they said yes, both because they did have the time and they were a willing worker, but I think as importantly, they knew that this was an opportunity for them to learn and build relationships and so forth. So um, I think that was that was really important. I think one of the things I shared when you and I talked um, was that I, after about six months or so, I, I realized I was having to remind myself that I had never actually met this person in person. Um, because I felt so comfortable and such a level of, of, you know, communication and, and, and so forth. And I remember at one point saying, how tall are you? Like, I just had no, you know, you see somebody's, you know, body, you have no idea. And they said like, I'm five feet tall. And I was like, so shocked because, you know, I'm a tall person. I was like, I always imagine people are as tall as me. It's like, you're only five feet. Like, so what you've really done was show us that, um, we can create connection and community in remote workplaces and hybrid workplaces. And you just need to be really thoughtful. We need to be thoughtful about the job the person um, needs to do. We need to be thoughtful about the, who the person is. Um, but one of the things that we've been talking about on our last webinar and today's webinar is it's not just about flex. It's also about how much work we can handle. And actually what Susan was starting to get at is that she would you know, work with her person to say, hey, you look like you have a little extra capacity. Would you like to take this on? And it's that kind of negotiating and thinking about how much capacity can we really handle? Well, I, I save one more person for us to hear from. And again, um, I clearly added too many people to this wonderful pot today. Uh, you, each of you could talk a lot more. Um, but I wanted to have Karen join us. Um, she has been running an organization um, for a long time, really thinking outside the box around these issues before the pandemic happened. Um, but also, as you've heard from each one of our uh, participants today, practicing these ideas personally um, and getting a lot of support from Third Path to think differently about how she can do work and life. Uh, in fact, I won't talk more about it today, but we have a lot of leaders who are part of the Third Path community who have really uh, used Third Path to keep uh, keeping on around their goals, around trying to be a leader who also has time for their lives. And the newsletter we sent out today, we'll talk a little bit about it, is that, you know, these leaders need to do this themselves. They need to figure out how to take care of themselves so they can keep on being a leader who supports others to live a whole life. And what we learned in all of this, I hope what you're starting to hear in all of the stories you've heard today is that, you know, each of their lives that they've been living, Ryan, Kate, Susan, and you'll hear from Karen in a sense, their real life experience of trying to live an integrated life helped them develop really important skills. In fact, these skills were uh, researched by some very famous uh, academics, that these are the kind of skills that we need our managers to have today. They need to be able to provide emotional support, 
instrumental support, like how are you going to actually get this done now that you're working remotely this year or forever? They need to be role models. They need to be creative in work family management because things keep on changing. And that checklist on the right is showing you that as we've been talking to our leaders in the third path community, we can really see that they've been putting these ideas into action. This list on the right with the text next to it are literally some of the things that our leaders were putting into action this past year as they help people get through the pandemic. So the big message is what you're doing to live an integrated life helps you become a really good manager um, of managing others around working uh, uh, to balance work and life goals. But again, what I wanted to say, and we might not have time to talk about all of this, is that you know Karen also turned to us this summer to say, hey, I'm a little burnt out. Uh, it's a lot to be a leader to help people think about these issues to get through a pandemic. Um, and so I want to introduce Karen and I want to have her share a little bit about uh, this amazing journey you've been on, um, trying to be a role model, trying to run an organization that you know caters to a lot of seniors as you're getting through the pandemic. Uh, you have a lot to be proud about. So maybe let's start there. What are some things that you felt like really went well this past year as you led your organization through the pandemic and made sure those seniors stayed safe. Thanks, Jessica. Um, so yeah, I uh, run affordable housing, well, apartment buildings. I'm an apartment manager, um, and I have I'm just under 100 employees. And most of my employees never worked remotely. Um, we took a, a quick pause and then figured out how to make sure we kept people safe, and we went right back to our work sites. So it was a unique challenge because we really couldn't relate to the remote, um, you know, the remote environment quite as much, although this provided a really nice opportunity for us to try out other kinds of flexibility for our employees, particularly maintenance guys who, you know, they're charged with fixing light bulbs and servicing buildings. They were fearful, but they were also parents and they needed support. So one of the things I'm proudest of getting through that time was being able to allow everyone to take a pause and to take stock of the different ways that we might be able to support employees. Um, and that really came from asking them what they needed and what they were facing. I think being part of the uh, journey as a, as a parent myself and going through um, third path as a parent myself and, and then as a manager and eventually a leader, also gave me a common language at home. So I already had a, a support network at home. I had a strong partner. I knew what I had to outsource. I knew when I couldn't outsource um, what had to go. And I was able to let go of things pretty quickly based on the learning I did um, as a parent getting kind of into where I am now as a working mom. So I think I was able to bring that to my organization during this last two years. Um, you know, in a, in a way that uh, allowed me to share very openly, hey, this is hard. And I look at um, workplaces as workplaces are going to be unequal until we work hard to make them equal. So if you can have that conversation with your staff at every level, that this is hard. I put my pants on the same way you do. I'm struggling too. It allows you to have another conversation and often you get such great ideas about how to change a policy or, you know, what unintentional obstacles your organization is putting in front of working families. So 
um, we're not over. The, I mean, the CDC and the WHO, they haven't declared this pandemic over. We're just in a new phase of it. Um, so really now it's like about emotional support and, and that's a totally different, you know, kind of ball of wax and crisis management, but. Yeah. yeah. Well, what you're, what you're getting back to it and that's where we're going to go is kind of open it up to everybody. Um, and again, hats off to, to you for helping your organization, you know, really dramatically change over that course of the year. And you get, if you get our newsletter, you'll see that, you know, or go on our blog you'll see that there's a story about uh, Karen that we're not going to be able to talk, have time to talk about today, but it's, it's a reminder that everybody, including leaders, need to be supported to take care of ourselves. This is hard, and it's hard to be an integrated leader. That's one of the things we talk about at Third Path. Yes, we want our leaders to be role models, but honestly, it can be challenging to be a role model too, and I can tell you about that personally. Um, but since we have such great managers and leaders here right now, I think the theme I keep on hearing about is um, the psychological safety and how we build that psychological safety. And I want to, I want to talk with you guys around that a little bit. And it's coming back to what Leslie Ford said at the very beginning of the webinar, the people manager side, you know, that that is really at the core. If we want to create workplaces that support people to live whole lives, meaning that they have time for work and do it really well, but also time for these other things that are important to them, we need some really good people managers. And I think at the root of that is really psychological safety. So, you know, Susan, you actually shared a couple of really great points around building uh, psychological safety, where it's, you know, creating some space at, as simple as at the beginning of, of meetings where people can talk about their whole lives. That's something Third Path has done for a long time. Maybe there's some other ways that you have learned over the course of this pandemic or even before the pandemic. Uh, and again, keeping our comments short, any tips uh, any of you want to add to how do you do the people side of uh, this, this skill set? How do you build psychological safety? To somebody, you can just raise your hand if you want to add, add a comment. Great, Susan. And then if somebody else wants to add to Susan. Well, I would just, um, I would just add like, I think my whole organization and, and then so me as a manager really tried to, um, you know, similar to what, um, you know, Karen was just sharing, like, what is it that people need? Right. And there's, and like she said, ask them. Um, but then also you can also like think about and anticipate. Right. So we clearly knew that burnout and all the stress of managing, um, you know, things were really hard. So the organization made a decision to give people some extra Fridays off just, adding to our, you know, generous leave policies um, for people who were parents, um, knowing that many people couldn't have, didn't feel safe having childcare in the home or their aging parents couldn't come in anymore because it was dangerous. All, you know, childcare centers were closed. So, um, you know, we gave people who were parents a lot of extra generous leave so that they could um, continue to earn a salary and, and um, take care of their children. Um, um, one person, for example, just literally took several months off. Um, you know, I didn't even know how much of it was paid or unpaid because, you know, they weren't on my team, but I knew that, you know, they were able to leave um, uh, because they felt they needed to. And then we actually found someone who does coaching with um, parents and we offered free, a free coaching session to every parent and then groups for with that coach 
for people who are parents in the organization who wanted to have a space to come and talk about how they were managing having young children in the home while they were also trying to spend their day on Zoom. Um, so those are just some examples. And we, they actually, because my organization has a fair amount of money, we also like, oh, let's give everybody HelloFresh meal kits so that, you know, just take a little bit of the burden off of shopping and cooking. Um, and, um, and also just to show our appreciation for, you know, the work that they were doing. So those are just a few examples. Um, we actually don't send everybody, you know, sweatshirts um, with the community change brand on it uh, as just an extra gift, you know, those kinds of things, like make people know that they're seen, they're heard, they're appreciated, um, and the stress that they're living under is real, and we want to address it. So what I want to do is um, recognize that we have too many wonderful people here. And so I'm going to let this webinar go a little bit lo longer than usual. Um, and we'll just figure out what to do with this longer version of our webinar. Um, and if there's somebody uh, who's one of our speakers who has to get off right at 2 o'clock, just wave your hand. Otherwise, we will be done at 2.10 Eastern Time. Um, uh, and thank you. So it looks like we had a, Leslie, maybe you were raising your hand. And again, if we can keep our comments short uh, around this idea and then Karen, it sounds like you had a, a thought too. Sure. Um, I, and I loved that. All of those suggestions I thought were wonderful. So in all the years managing people for over 20 years, something that's worked well for me has been if someone's sharing something vulnerable I've had employees who've had different mental health conditions. I've had employees with high-risk pregnancies. I've had employees who've had terminally ill spouses, who've had losses, divorces, you know, you name it. Um, so I will say, you know what? I'm going to take my company hat off for a moment and just allow them to share what they want to share. And then I'll say, you know what? If you would like for some additional resources and support, I can put my company hat back on and if you want me to try to connect you with someone in HR or to find out if we can support you in better ways, let me know. If you would rather me not do that, it stays with us and you don't have to do that. So that way they had the control on what they wanted me to do next, if they wanted me to take action with that information, or if they just really wanted me to listen or know that they might need to take a lot of time off or to have certain appointments that they had. Um, so that's just a tool that's worked well for me in my, as a manager. Excellent. Wonderful, Leslie. A really concrete example. Thank you very much. Karen, you had something you wanted to add. And again, if anybody else who's on the panel wants to add something, just raise your hand. Great. Afterwards, Karen. So I th there's a couple things I um, would add to the conversation. One is I think it's really important for employees at every level to hear leaders and other leaders talking to each other about how hard it is because it opens the conversation up further and allows, you know, when you have a company, conversation with another company head in front of everybody. It allows their people to have a space to recognize the vulnerability. I think that's really critical for leaders. I also think that there's a lot of tone deaf traditional bosses that are still out there. And those are the ones that are a true liability to attracting and retaining their talent. The ones that aren't talking about this stuff are admitting that it's hard because they don't know and they're far out of it or they never experienced it. Um, I think People in those positions really need to surround themselves with other people that are going to tell them the truth about how freaking hard it is to parent, lead, and, you know, and just get to work every morning. Um, there's also some other tactics around 
thinking ahead of next year and we're blacking out certain weeks for no meetings and we're blacking out certain, you know, telling people, put yourself first. We're building in more mental health days and announcing them ahead of time. Like we're not going to have six weeks where no, there is no day off. Um, that's not your weekend because we recognize that weekends are not really weekends anymore. So I think there's other tactical things that you can do to just kind of structure your organization a little bit differently in the face of what we're doing and where work is going. Um, and we're trying to offer like tactical things for families just to like grab onto so they they have some way to find new routines because everybody's routine's been disrupted and we need to find like sort of what the new habits are. So um, just some thoughts about what we're looking at. Wonderful. Ryan, thank you. Yeah, I, I think that was excellent, Karen. Um, I think what I'd add to that is, you know, I think businesses, when I was in business school, they said, you know, a business, a company, a corporation is a fake person. And I think oftentimes we forget that, especially the larger the business. So like you take Oracle or Facebook, you know, Facebook started off in, in a dorm room with a, a single person, maybe a collect, collection of a few, you know, little geeks in a dorm room. Um, well, before, you know, it had an HR policy, you know, life of dad, we started off in a foreclosed on garage long before we had like <laughs> HR considerations and hiring decisions and, you know, payroll practices and things like that. Um, I think we need to kind of take a step back as executives and leaders and, and managers of organizations to understand like, look, our business is a fake person. Let's make like as important as we think our mission is, whether it's a nonprofit, an NGO, or just you know, flat out profit driven publicly traded company, we need to take a step back and understand like we're, we're, you know, this collective that we have is a fake person in the world. How humble are we? How, how, like to what level of self-importance are we taking our work? You know, there, there's one thing about advancing our mission and kind of moving toward our vision and moving the needle on our metrics and getting the profit and returning it to the shareholders. And, you know, like all these different kind of like, organizational kind of operational logistical things that we need to, you know, technically get done on a week to week, quarterly, quarterly, annual basis. Um, but at the same time, it's like, we, we're just human beings and our organization yeah. is a fake human being. How humble are we? How well are we treating fellow human beings? How, how well are we treating the human beings that are taking part of this collective human? Um, so that's on the company side. That's on the organization side. On the personal side, you know, like we were talking about when Leslie opened up with the great resignation. I mean, look at the dynamics, the supply and demand dynamics of the great resignation. Like employees are in control right now in the market. All other things equal. I mean, look, like, you know, there's, there, we, we, we need to help employees wherever we can, you know, make sure that the wages increase and, and, and this and that. But there, there's a lot of personal accountability to be had there too. Um, Self-reflective gut checks, looks in the mirror, you know, am I proud of myself when I wake up? Am I proud of myself when I go to sleep? That kind of stuff. Um, before I even enter a labor market trying to peddle my time to a company that might buy it. Um, I think... Being, being kind of a more confident, um, self-aware, 
valuable, intrinsically valuable participant and offerer of labor and time to the labor market could only put the fake people, the companies of the world between a rock and a hard place to try to figure out how to serve the, uh, the employees of the world. Um, so you, it, you know, it takes you're getting it. humility on the organizational side and confidence and power on the on kind of the employee side. Well said, Ryan. And, you know, it's a great uh, reminder. I'm going to put up our last slides and, and get us to the, to, to the finish line. Um, but what Ryan was just talking about, what Ryan was just talking about was how much um, it's a lot like what we talked about on our last webinar with Scott Deason and Delta Emerson around creating a whole person workplace. Um, and that really we can make these very successful workplaces that respect us as whole people. And, and it's better for, for the ultimate bottom line, uh, I think is what you're hearing today. Wonderful. So we're kind of short on time. Just wanted to let people know that if they wanted to, they can put their name into our chat box to get uh, ready for our wellness-focused town hall that's happening um, on December 9th. We can get you a copy of Kira's book if you put your name into the chat box. We're giving one away today. Um, and that we have Giving Tuesday coming up, um, a really important event where we can really recognize how to support nonprofits, uh, find the nonprofit you love, and get, them, get involved with them. We have some ways you can get involved with us this year, uh, make a difference. Um, and, you know, in general, there's a way to continue the conversation. Join us in our Facebook group follow us on social media. Um, we really believe that there is a world of expanded possibilities this year. Um, I am going to give the last word first to Leslie and then to Karen about a takeaway from today's webinar that you feel is important for a manager or an employee to learn from. Leslie, what would be your last thought or word of advice? And then we'll hear from Karen. As in, well, as I think for leaders and managers, assume that people are exhausted and burned out right now, whether they've told you that they are or not. Like when you're assigning work, make sure you're not saying, oh, on a Friday morning that something's due on a Monday morning. Um, you know, treat those weekends, nights, early mornings as sacred and, you know, give, pr fiercely protect people's time for their own well-being and for deep work. Wonderful. A really, really great point. Karen, I'm going to give you the last word. Thanks again for being an inspiring leader uh, who's shown us that we can really create a whole person workplace and make it through a pandemic. One last word of advice, Karen. When things at home are not okay, people are not okay at work. So make that invisible more visible and you kind of bring people together, I think, as a leader. Um, that's critical to remember. Wonderful. And that's what Third Path has been all about. We really believe we can create a world where people have time and energy for their lives outside of work, and then they can bring their whole selves to work better um, and everybody benefits, our families, our communities, our society. Thank you so much for being part of today's webinar. Thank you all of our panelists for your excellent contribution today. You will be able to find this webinar 
um, on YouTube, a recording of it, and you'll just follow us on social media. We'll keep you posted about what we have available. Thank you, everybody.